You are listening to Anchored in Faith, the official podcast of Humano Corpus Dignitate. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Anchored in Faith. My name is Angel. I am Carlos. And uh, happy Easter. Happy Easter to you and to everyone who's listening. Um, I it, By the release dates, I think you can see we took a couple of weeks off because we wanted to spend Easter with our families and we were busy with that. And you were really busy at church um, playing at every event of the Triduum at Mass. So, yes. so Carlos is very involved with his wife in music ministry um, at their local parish. So, you know, we just needed to spend time, I think, um, really reflecting and self-reflecting in the last days of the Lenten season. But we continue that um, self-reflection. And actually, it's Divine Mercy Sunday this week. Um, so that's actually what we're going to focus on. Yeah, we wanted to start with a a prayer. This was actually from Pope Francis during the Jubilee Year of Mercy, and I thought it would be really nice to share because it's a beautiful prayer in general. So let's begin. name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, you have taught us to be merciful like the Heavenly Father, and you have told us that whoever sees you sees him. Show us your face, and we will be saved. Your loving gaze freed Zacchaeus and Matthew from being enslaved by money. The adulteress and Magdalene from seeking happiness only in created things. Made Peter weep after his betrayal and assured paradise to the repentant thief. Let us hear, as if addressed to each one of us, the words that you spoke to the Samaritan woman. If you knew the gift of God. You are the visible face of the invisible Father, of the God who manifests his power above all by forgiveness and mercy. Let the church be your visible face in the world, its Lord risen and glorified. You will that your ministers would be clothed in weakness in order that they may feel compassion for those in ignorance and error. Let everyone who approaches them feel sought after, loved, and forgiven by God. Send your spirit and consecrate every one of us with its anointing so that the Jubilee of Mercy may be a year of grace from the Lord and your church with renewed enthusiasm may bring good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to captives and the oppressed, and restore sight to the blind. We ask this through the intercession of Mary, Mother of Mercy, you who live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's a that's a beautiful prayer, and um, I think one of the things um, that we need to look at uh, when it comes to mercy is actually ourselves first. And when you look at the prayers in the chaplet of the Divine Mercy, it all it says, um, "Have mercy on us and on the whole world." So we need to look at look within ourselves. Um, I think one of the things that we forget to do and we should be doing throughout the year, um, you know, it's recommended to do it at least once a month is to go to confession. Um, And some people are questioning what the point of confession is. Um, And, you know, besides all the spiritual stuff, think about what you're doing um, in that sense. and, And you are recognizing that there is something that needs to be healed. There is something that needs to be forgiven. And it's one thing to say it kind of in your head, but to be able to speak it and say it out loud to somebody else is is actually the start of the healing process, right? We acknowledge that there is something going on within us. um, And then to be able to say that to somebody with the grace of God is even more powerful, Um, And knowing that God is willing to forgive us, but that forgiveness starts within us first. Um, And then we can start to forgive the world. And what we need to recognize is that um, Pope Francis actually did mention during that Jubilee year of mercy that no one is above the forgiveness of God. I may have mentioned this on another podcast, but um, during Lent, when our pastor was encouraging us to go to confession, 
he was saying that he had spoken to a, a psychiatrist who talked about how when Catholics stopped going to confession, his business boomed. So to sit there and kind of say, you know, I think I'm okay. Uh, no. And it's interesting because um, if you look at it, you're going to speak to someone in private. You're opening up. You were talking about kind of talking it out. You're talking it out. You're, and, and I would argue, I understand you can choose a therapist and you get to know that person, but there still has to be that first session. And the truth is, you know, you're, you're going to have professional boundaries. You're going to have, it's, you know, such things. So um, you don't really know that person too well. And, but the thing is you go in there realizing this is going to help me, or you're at least trying to do that. Um, I've also found it interesting because when we're challenged on the sacrament by non-Catholic Christians, why do you have to confess to a priest? Well, you know, obviously the teaching also refers to the fact that we also sin against the church, so our community. So I think to myself, too, the priests representing the community, There, I've, I've read stories of, you know, having my music background of groups that one of the reasons why they've been able to sustain their longevity was because they meet on a regular basis and talk. And everything's on the table. And, you know, sometimes it's just, hey, this is how I feel about you guys. I love you guys. This is great. And sometimes they're working out some problems. They're working out tensions. They're just addressing some, you know, it could be a little stark remark that happened in a recording session a couple of days ago. And it, it's literally a matter of just saying it and maybe the other person owning it and you move on. But you're still talking it out. And, um, you know, I think of the people in the gospel who approach Jesus, you know, what must I do to be saved? Like they wanted to hear his words. But um, it's interesting, too, because going back to the non-Catholic Christians, I mean, I've attended different. I know you have two other services from other churches. And I sit there sometimes and I, I really appreciate it. I, I love the courage people have. And I love, in some cases, the support the community offers to that person. But then this sometimes people will get up and start telling the entire church this is what I did. You know, these are the sins I, you know, and God forgave me. And that's the beautiful part is, is they, they proclaim God's forgiveness and mercy. But I'm sitting there saying, you're telling the entire church what you did. Yeah. But you're talking it out. Like, I think sometimes we get so caught up in our, our routines or our traditions, we don't realize, oh, they're doing it the same way. They're doing the same thing. But, you know, we need to talk these things out. The, you know, and I know it's scary um, you know, you go, I think sometimes we hold, well, not sometimes we all tend to hold our clergy in a, a, you know, on a pedestal. And I think that we believe that they're all holier than thou and just infallible and all that. But you have to remember, they're also another human being, but they're another human being that is there to channel that grace from God. And, um, you know, my, my, our own pastor from our, from my parish actually said, you know, he, when my son actually just went through his first reconciliation a couple of months ago, and I loved the fact that he addressed that fear. He said, I also have a spiritual advisor and I go to confession. Our priests go to confession too. We all know that they're not free from, um, you know, our, um, our, sinful ways. They also face temptations and things like that. And so they also go to confession. And he said, yes, I get scared and nervous before going to confession. Um, and the other, but he did say that, you know, unfortunately, yes, some of us may have had a bad experience going to confession. You get some of those priests that, you know, say certain things in a certain way that rubs us the wrong way. It may not be their intention, but it does rub us the wrong way. But that doesn't mean you can't go to another one. It's like choosing another therapist. I hate this therapist. Go to another one. Find someone that you're comfortable going to and you can have that person be your 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 regular confessor. That's totally fine. But the but the goal is to find that forgiveness from God and to hear the words, God forgives you. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes, um, you know, I can't speak for everyone. I, I don't really, I don't recall ever having a bad experience. My parents would tell me stories of, you know, in the sixties and when they were kids about, you know, the old traditions of the priest would scold you, whatever. 
I do remember a freshman year at high school because that, that was when my parents put me in Catholic school. And I remember going to the school chapel. We had a, a guest speaker who was a priest who was talking to us about reconciliation. And he brought that up. And, and you know, obviously he, you know, he had some thoughts on that. And he, he said to us, he goes, you know what, um, you're, we're not supposed to do that. So he told a bunch of 14 year olds, he goes, if that ever happens to you, leave. That's not why we're there. And then even Pope Francis, there's been times he's commented about, you know, for example, a lot of Catholic women are apprehensive to confess like abortion or, you know, using contraception. And, um, you know, he's made some public statements about, you know, you are supposed to be that beacon of mercy. So, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, you brought up earlier um, the, uh, you know, priests, they're, they're human beings. And I was actually talking to my students in my apologetics class a couple of days ago, because we were doing a project about church teachings and going to the actual church documents to get the truth. Because, you know, even whether it's myself, you or a priest, we can, you know, sway from what the church teaches and we're all human. And I said, yeah, I mean, I've been in conversations with priests, you know, we're having, we're discussing doctrine and, and, you know, there's times I've, I whip out the catechism, like, father, I'm sorry, I think you're wrong. This is what the church, te- I'm bound to this too. I, you know, so if, if, you know, sometimes they kind of, you know, they get in the wrong direction, but again, you know, there, that's, that priest does not represent the entire church. Um, it's interesting how, what, what would most of us do if, um, if that happened, they'd probably be posting on social media or calling someone up. Do you know what fathers? So you're talking out that thing. So, but the other thing too, I, maybe the fear and I'll, I'll share this is, uh, when I had to go to confession in my twenties one time and he needed to go, um, I was scared of how I was going to react because I was going to say it. I, I knew, um, I'll tell you, actually, I'll tell you, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. I was at the time a parishioner at St. Margaret Mary in Lamita, California. And our pastor was then Father Joe Satoris, Bishop Joe in Los Angeles, who I already knew was a loving, wonderful priest. I mean, he was, a, he was definitely a, a wonderful, loving father to all of us. So walking into confession with him, I, I wasn't worried about him. I was worried about how I was going to react. You know, when that regret comes out, you know, you can tell someone you're sorry for what you've done. You get emotional because, you know, you're hiding, you're holding that pain in. So, you know, I think what we have to do is we have to, as a church, really reestablish that community of support. You know, whether you, you're afraid, whether you're emotional, whether you're angry, that these people are going to be the people of God that are going to support you. Whether it's confession or you go on a retreat and share something, I mean, all of that can be scary. I think um, one of the things that you're kind of the main point is that we're not really afraid of God or the priest. We're actually afraid to face ourselves. When you go to confession, you're facing yourself and you're you're saying, I need to work on me. And how many of how many of us one don't want to be wrong? <laughs> we hate being wrong. Um, and two, being able to say, no, I I need this. And that's essentially what you're doing is saying, no, I need this. I need to heal. But that's a and that's a, you know, it is a scary thing to 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 go through and to um to admit to yourself. Um but, but also, I'm sorry, when you do face yourself, then you're like, okay, God, um, God, of course, knows what you've done, knows how you feel. Yes. See, that's the thing is that, and, and I wanted to share this passage from the book of Psalms, um, chapter, uh, Psalm 103, uh, Verse 10, um, he has not dealt with us as our sins merit, nor requited us as our wrongs deserve. For as the heavens tower over the earth, so his mercy towers over those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. As the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That shakes me up. 
because I will look at my wrongs and I'm like, no, I deserve like I because we think of our human relations and how in those cases where maybe we did something to cause someone to to distance themselves from us. Mm -hmm. We understand that. And and um, how God we would expect that from God, but we're projecting ourselves on God. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's just, I was thinking, as soon as you said that, that passage was just. No, and it's fine because honestly, I mean, think about it. God is what? God is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He knows. He already knows. It's like, you know, when your parents catch you in a lie and they're just waiting for you to say it (laughs) and you know in their face that they already know what you did and they're just waiting for you to say, you know what, mom, dad, I was wrong. Hey, that's exactly what God is waiting for, for you to be able to say, God, I I did this. Yes, I did this. And you know what, I'm willing to change. And I think it's one thing to say, to confess your sins. Are you willing to do what it takes to change yourself and to transform yourself um, in order to become a better person? God, Jesus died on the cross because of our sins, right? They are, he already knows we are prone to our errors, but he was willing to die for us so that we can be, that was the greatest show of love and mercy right there was to say, I am willing to pay for what you did. And he knew he knew exactly what would happen in the future. He knew what had already happened and he was still willing to do it. He was still willing to die for us. Despite the fact that we are all, um, we, we are still prone to sin. Well, you mentioned the omnipresent omniscient, all that. Well, that would also mean God knows why you did it. That's true. And sin when in most cases, if it's to medicate pain or out of fear because especially when I work with young people, I'm like, you guys are all over each other. But have you, do you guys ever stop and think about the fear you all have of rejection among your peers? So as soon as I said that this beautiful thought came to mind, I just said, God knows why you did it. Okay. And part of the prayer I read from St. Francis, he cites sp- specific sinners that Jesus confronted. Okay. Mm-hmm. You have God lifting you up literally in, at those moments. If, you know, Jesus with the adulteress, he knew why she did it. You know, we talk today in today's world about, you know, the girls with the daddy issues or, you know, the self-esteem issues. And that's why they do those things because they're trying to, you know, have that moment of affirmation. And we've figured that out in, you know, (laughs) what, 2000 years after Jesus, thanks to psychology. But Jesus knew that before we were born and what, why we would do that. And so the challenge, I think, also is the fact that we're living in this world that's encouraging us to be relativistic. Like, bro, you know, you, you define your own right and wrong, which is a lie because, as I tell my students, then no one would be upset at tweets. Nobody would be ups- offended at anything. You might say, wow, that's really out there. But hey, man, that's your thing. No one says that. And it's interesting because that that leads me to the idea of what really scares me in the world today is this cancel culture, you know, because, you know, it's funny. My mother would tell me these stories about, I mean, she wasn't like an apocalyptic parent. Like, you know, these people who are always trying to, the the world's going to end. Yeah. But like when we would talk about, you know, Jesus and like the second coming and she'd go, well, yeah, everybody's going to know what you've done. You know, everything gets revealed. And I think a lot of people look at that and say, okay, well, wow, that's bad because like everyone's going to know what I did. But but the thing is, is that um, let's just take a look at life, even pre-Twitter. It eventually comes out. And, you know, you hear those, how many you know years do we hear stories of uh, deathbed confessions? Mm-hmm. I sit there and think to myself, okay, you basically got away with it in your whole life. Why are you saying anything? I mean, you think about it, like, why are you saying anything? Because you need to get it out. And because we're still carrying that pain. Exactly. And it's funny, because when you think like, who do they say it to? Like someone they trust. So they say it to the priest. Well, there's that too, you know, it would be nice if it was your last Mm -hmm. confession. But, but, um, 
But the interesting thing is that when I look at the idea of everything's going to be revealed, I guess the question I'd like to ask everyone that's listening is, is that really scary if your audience is going to be loving and supportive? Because I've been on ret- I've been on retreats, you know, where people get up and they start sharing some really heavy stuff. And everyone in the room is like, You're, you got this. You're going to be okay. We love you. Let's, we're going to pray with you right now. It's the most empowering thing. And what I think is scary about this whole cancel culture thing is you literally have people digging into your life, looking mm-hmm. for something they can, they can throw out there. And I was talking to my students about this a couple, right before spring break. And I said, what is the ultimate goal? Because and I thought about this because I, I read a short article someone wrote about how this approach doesn't allow for forgiveness. No, it doesn't. And and I'm like, what do you want from this? Like, because I look at, I don't want to mention you and I've talked about specific incidents, and I don't want to mention them specifically because of you know I want to respect someone's privacy, and plus you know I don't want someone to start fishing for them. But you know sometimes people just messed up. Mm-hmm. whether it's a tweet, whether it's someone's got you on their phone, you know, they videotaped it, they messed up. We all have messed up. And I'm like, do you want to destroy this person? Because one particular thing I'm thinking about, and I'm going to try to be really vague, is this person, you know, in my opinion, this person, they they made a big mistake. And, um, you know, there, there are those who, of course, are calling for this person to be removed from the position they have which is somewhat prestigious and this person's fighting it, which I respect, you know, they, they want to hang on to things or, and I get that, you know, sometimes we don't fully own what we've done. And um, I'm looking at this and I look the person up and this person has a family. Uh, their pers- this person's children are still of school age. So we're looking at college and, you know, a future that I'm sure, this person, their spouse are going to assist their children with. And I'm thinking, one, they still have to survive in this world. So they have to be able to work and make a living. Two, they have a family relying on them. Three, this person, when I looked up their career and their background, their educational background, they've been very successful in what they've done. They've been very good at helping people with what they've done. This person has a special set of skills that not could be useful, the world still needs it. So I'm like, why are we trying to destroy this person? Now, granted, from what I haven't checked on it in about a week and a half, but it's, you know, the person was fighting it. Not that any of us have ever fought when we've gotten in trouble. And they're probably afraid if I give in and they remove me, I'm done. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine, you know, walking away, like walking out of your job, and the situation is such where you're like, I may have earned my last paycheck. And you are, as far as your physical being goes, you are far from death. What am I going to do? Well, I, the the thing that's interesting, and you're talking about this, um, the you, you had mentioned how this kind of cancel culture really leaves no room for forgiveness. It's really interesting because right now, like all of the movements... Um, are trying to be about acceptance and love, but it's only one in one direction. If you think, think like us. Yeah. If you think like us and then we'll love you. But when you think about God, God is gave us that unconditional love, right? He said, no matter what you are, no matter what you do, I'm going to love you and I'm going to show you, I love you. Um, but we don't, we, we don't bring that now the way that society is. We don't bring that into our lives. We're digging in people's past 10, 20 years ago. We all change. You know, we all have had our stupid moments, <laughs> especially as teenagers. And some of these people are getting dug up as far back as their teenage years. Something that they said a long time ago. That per- Think about yourself. And think about how much have you changed in the last two, three, four, five years and how your experiences have changed you, your mindset and your heart 
do you think that a person hasn't also undergone that same transformation, especially if it was one incident that happened how many years ago, and now you're digging that up and throwing that in their face, and that has not had a repetition? That is obviously not who they are Mm -hmm. anymore. I came across this great um, meme or statement, whatever, I'm paraphrasing, where you know, I you know how when people argue, and it gets ugly, and and they'll sometimes the other person will say, um, "Now I see who you really are." And it's funny because some people don't argue a lot, so imagine the kindness, the generosity, the the goodness that comes out of them regularly. That's actually the regular routine, and then say two weeks later they have an argument. And you get upset and you know, things unfortunately happen. But so we're saying that one incident or a couple of incidents that happen in not too often completely removes the good you've shown people. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I mean, because then, well, maybe I guess in some cases it could have been a lie. I can understand that, but um, you know there are times that you know we we don't understand how someone is going to take something differently. Like for example, um, we were talking about you know the a second ago about if you think like me. Okay, I've been teaching theology for twenty four years. Teenagers, they're always going to disagree with you. They're always going to challenge, and I say ask your questions. And the kids who really will fight the church's teachings, you know, some of them have been in classes where, like, they'll be surprised that I let them talk because maybe another teacher didn't, which that's a that's a different story altogether. You know, I'm like, tell me what you have to say. I'm letting them talk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and sometimes they're they're trying to figure it out. Sometimes they're struggling with something. I mean, that's fine. But um, I'm letting them talk. Now... The funny thing is, it's one. It's almost like those things because you know Jesus, in, in so many places, talks about, you know, forgive each other, forgive each other. You know, seventy times, seventy times. You know, just keep doing it. And it's interesting because one of the questions I'll pose to my young people is, okay, when you say you're sorry to someone, do you hope they'll forgive you and you guys can move on? And they're like, yes. And I go, and how many of you hold a grudge? Yeah. Okay, I'm raising my hand, by the way. <laughs> and one time I even asked the girls, I go, and it's your boyfriend, and he's sitting there trying to woo you and this and that. How many of you let it go on for a few days longer? You didn't really want to, but you love the attention. And they're all like, I'm like. <laughs> or and you're... bring it up again in another argument that happens. Like... Well, boys do that too, but but it's just <laughs> that and everyone does that actually. But But what I'm saying is, you realize you just wasted like three days of your life that you can't get back. But the the thing is, to be honest, um, it's actually not fair. And so I want to read this from um, Ephesians chapter four, verse 31. All bitterness, fury, anger, shouting and reviling must be removed from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you in Christ. So a lot of times what I've tried to do over the last several years is um, I don't really find myself in a lot of situations where I have to sit down with someone. We had to work things out. It's like someone will more or less be talking to me about something that happened to them or that they did. And, um, I'm sitting there like, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I've done something similar. Yeah, I know how you feel. And, you know, sometimes it's really out there and you're okay. And, you know, I've had kids tell me things in confidence and I'm like, whoa, that I didn't expect that from you. And, you know, I tell them, look, you can't, you know, sometimes a reaction's like laughter. You can't control it. But, um, okay, well, I wasn't expecting that. Please tell me more. Tell me more. And I, I and I imagine it's it's hard for parents. I mean, I've been through that with my kids. And, you know, with one of them being 18, there's been some very difficult conversations. But the fact that that child would open up to you, you know, a lot of parents, the kids don't tell them things. Mm-hmm. 
fear of how the parent's going to think. So we project that on God the Father. But, you know, in these writings in the Bible, you know, Paul to Isaiah the prophet to the Psalms, they're, they're, they're reminding us God forgives you. God loves you. And well, and going back to the whole everything will be revealed, you kind of mentioned this earlier. If everything will be revealed, it's not just your actions that will be revealed then, it's your heart, right? So if everything will be revealed, it's not just what you did, but why. What was it that caused you um, enough pain for you to act in this way? And also, if everything's going to be revealed, I just thought of this right now. Like, let's just sort of put a visual on this. Say, like, it's Carlos's life in front of the entire human population. Mm -hmm. And big, giant movie screen across the sky. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm assuming they'll see the good I've done because everything is going to be revealed. Um, The times that I was like, I didn't feel good about myself. I, I didn't have confidence. I felt like a failure. We've all been there. And my wrongs. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's been times in my career as a teacher where a student gets in trouble and I'm like, what? You're kidding. That kid did that? Because I, rem- I know that kids, from what I know of that student, I know they're a very good person. And, you know, I think... Uh, when you really start to focus, not that sin is doesn't have a, a wrongness to it, but if we remember to include the part of the fear in it, it you know, it, it allows us to sort of step back and say, hey, there has to be a reason why this person did this. Yeah. Um, I really remember, I remember when Tiger Woods got divorced and his, his ex-wife made an interesting statement where she talked about, well, I mean, we have children, so I do speak to him, obviously, a lot. And she said, you know, one day I will forgive him. I just need time. You know, so my guess is, you know, she's obviously has a big heart. I'm sure they sat and talked about it and, you know, why he did it. Um, You know, she knew him. Obviously, she married him. So she had to, I'm assuming, knew him pretty well. So, um so yeah, and and you know the goodness that she has in her heart as well. Um, re- I love reading biographies, and I, I love it when. And most of that I've read, they they're very candid about their failures. Mm-hmm. You know, I I let my child down. I failed my marriage. I failed my parents. You know, and they'll tell you how they feel, and it's like wow. And so this person, because obviously biographies are usually written by famous people, so there's already this regard we have for them. And you're sitting there realizing that this person, while they were on the pedestal that you recall, in their heart, they felt worthless. So it's like, oh, and that actually helped me have more compassion for people. In fact, when I've had to listen and talk to people, sometimes I make reference because it's not an experience I know, but it's an experience I read about. Mm -hmm. And I say, hey, this person who's famous and powerful, whatever you want to call them, They've gone through that. And it was, and let me tell you what they did and what they said. And it was like, wow. You know, we, when we celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday, um, a lot of us have done the novena, the Divine Mercy novena, and that the prayers were given to St. Maria uh, Faustina by Jesus. She, she was a visionary. She was a mystic. One of the things that was revealed to her was how much God wanted us to, or Jesus wanted us to be united with him in the Eucharist, right? First of all, let's kind of go back to the whole confession thing. And you, we all know that we're supposed to go to confession before we take the Eucharist. Think about the fact that when you are fighting with somebody, do you want to get near them? Like, oh. do, you, do you even want them to hug you or anything? No, right? Not in so, the same zip code. <laughs> yeah, like, get out of my face. So think about the fact that Jesus himself, like, how are we so much willing to cling on to Jesus and touch Jesus and taste Jesus when we are in that state of I guess you could say division when you're not in the right state of mind, when you're not in the right state of mind, you don't want anybody there. So why are we going to take the host? Um, And so that's, I think the reason 
not, you know, that we should be confessing our sins and saying, you know what, God, I need healing. I need to heal my relationship with you so that I can take you in because the whole reason we're taking the Eucharist is to be united and not just to take it in action, but to take it within ourselves and within our souls. If our, if our souls are fractured, how are we going to accept Jesus into our soul? But something that just came to mind right now, Jesus broke bread and established the Eucharist at the Last Supper with all the apostles. Guess who else was at the table breaking bread? His betrayer. He knew Judas was going to betray him, and he still broke bread and gave it to him. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny because, you know, we live in this world of you're judging me. And sometimes we need to be judged. I'm sorry. Sometimes you're wrong. I'm wrong, etc. But if you look at this practice of, say, going to confession to confess your serious sins before going to, to, to communion, think about what's going on here. God's not canceling you. What is the big problem with people when they have a dispute? Own what you did. Mm-hmm. How many times do people just tell someone, just admit what you did and we're fine. And you're upset because... They're basically not acknowledging your dignity because they don't think it's worth admitting they have offended you. He's saying, own what you did, come to me. And then you were talking about the closeness. He's not saying, okay, own what you did, you could sit back of the church. Own what you did, come up to the altar and let me give myself to you. And a lot of it too is that if we don't do that, It's not just a matter of being worthy of receiving the Eucharist. It's also, are we recognizing what we're getting? Mm -hmm. Like when someone is saying, own what you did to me and we're cool. They're saying, look, you're respecting me because I'm ready to love you again. You know, so it's like there, sometimes we, when we take, when we're, in that state of sin, and we're looking at it from a very self-centered way, while we're trying to justify our behavior, we're not seeing what's really going on. Well, I mean, think about the prayer that we say right before communion, right? Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. We are saying we know we're, we know that we commit errors all the time. We are, we are understanding of that, but listen, whenever you're in church, don't just say the words just to say it, listen to what you're saying. You're saying, I know that I, I, I may have done wrong God, but please heal me. That's Mm -hmm. what we are saying in that moment, right before we take Jesus. And so we need to translate that into everything that we do and into our lives. And I think that, um, you know, and we have to be willing to, heal ourselves and our souls. And, I, you know, we need to understand that God's mercy is based out of love for us. Jesus went through all that pain and suffering for us. That prayer you were talking about, it's int- because like sometimes, let's just, I'll, I'll use a silly example. Like, honey, tell me what I have to do to make you happy again. Okay, go buy me some flowers. So, so, okay, you go do it. You go do it. She tells you what to do. I know it's a silly example. But in that prayer, you're asking Jesus to make you worthy. And he will. So it's like he's even at a moment when we're trying to, you know, in other words, it's kind of like, you know, when I talk about relationships being 50-50, now God's usually the one (laughs) crossing the the boundary and, and really giving more. But God wants to. You know, we come from God. We're created in the image of God. So he's always seeking to restore us. He wants that same intimacy that, you know, that I had before the fall. I, I just remembered something that you said a few weeks ago. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> what, what was it? God's that parent that keeps paying for us to go to rehab. <laughs> <laughs> Soloisms, yeah. Um, well, no, because, you know... Rather than giving up on us, like, okay, let's let's do it again. Let's let's try it again. It's almost like that very patient math teacher. You didn't get it right. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Um, I remember I had a I had a colleague in music school, amazing pianist. I mean, he was amazing. And his father was his first teacher. And he goes, Yeah, there were times that I got taught with the belt. I'm like, 
how would you practice while you're getting, you know, or this one guy I knew he was playing flamenco guitar and, you know, they have to play with their hand a certain way. It's real strong. Mm -hmm. So like when their hand positioning was off, he said that the, the teacher would go up to their hand and like flick it. And it's like, how am I supposed to hold the guitar and, you know, hold it down and you're like flicking it and it hurt. And, you know, it's the old way. Whereas I remember um, my teacher, Greg, um, I was younger and, you know, we're practicing, we're on the practice pad and, and I was kind of like, um, you know, we do this a lot. Can we like do something else today? And he looked at me, he goes, well, if you actually do that right to begin with, we can do something else. I was like, oh, you know, Ooh. but, but the thing is, is that, you know, we have to like the rehab comment is, you know, I've, I've never gone to rehab, but I have a lot of friends who have, you know, musicians. I mean, yeah. So I've sat down with a lot of them and they talk about it and they go into the, you know, first admitting you have a problem, which you're saying, I don't have control over my use of this thing. Mm -hmm. And then just the, you know, detoxifying, whatever, and just, you know, the, the therapy and, and, and it's very painful. It's extremely, you know, it's almost like physical rehab, you know, where there's a lot of physical pain to, to learn to walk again or to fix an injury. So, and that's also scary is we have to figure out how to repair those broken in the case of uh, our brothers and sisters in the world to to repair those broken relationships because even when there's forgiveness um we have we figure that we need to you know what do i have to do to you know reestablish trust or to you know to get you to you know to let you know some of your resentments go and we have to own that see we have to we have to accept that that people sometimes are going to be hesitant to to, you know, bring you back into their zip code kind of thing. Well, I mean, okay, what are we celebrating during Easter, right? We're celebrating Jesus rising from the dead. He's also telling us, hey, rise again, lift yourself mm -hmm. up again. When we are in so much pain and anguish, a lot of times there is a part of us that feels metaphorically dead, right? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times we can't, some, some of us feel that pain to the point that we can't function. You know, when your mental and emotional health is down, your physical health goes down. We're all, every every aspect of our humanity is interconnected and we need to understand that. And so, but Jesus is telling us, no, rise up. You, you can rise up. And you know what? I will help you. I love you. I went through this with you. I will help you rise up again. Just trust in me. You know, it's funny because, you know, Easter, on um, Good Friday, I watched The Passion of the Christ with my son. Haven't seen it in probably about five or six years. Not something you throw on any Friday night, you know, oh, let's have some popcorn. No, you don't do that. And it's, you know, it's it's hard to watch. But yeah, the watch. hardest parts for me are still the Garden of Gethsemane. When he has, you know, can't you stay awake with me? You know, when when they abandon him. And it's it's very painful for me to watch the look of anguish on his face when Peter, you know, approaches Mary, mother, I I denied him. You know, those are because, you know, those physical wounds heal. You know, I uh, have this scar right here. It didn't really hurt when I got it, but like, you know, I've been doing Neil Sporin on. It's almost gone. But it's like, you know, regrets I have from 20 years ago to, you know, things that people have done to me. Yeah, it hurts. And it it's... Uh, you know, and I, 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 I struggle with the fact that, you know, I've learned to sort of let a lot of things go, but there's still some people in my life that I haven't, I don't know why I can't let them, let it go for them. Um, we just um, need to, you know, we need to rise. We need to own that, those flaws, those sins. Um, we're in, sometimes in that tomb, in that very cold and lonely tomb. Yeah. But, um. And, and the hardest one, I think, is when we feel unworthy, when the people are calling us out to them, like, it's okay, you know, come back to, to me. You know, Jesus, that, that's the beautiful thing was the way he approached it when he rose, when, you know, he went to them, he spoke to them, he, you know, he ate with them, he did the things he still did prior to that with them. And, you know, he, he made, he still sat there and, um, you know, he certainly, you know, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Because they were working out the thing that came between them. 
And as soon as he said yes each time, feed my sheep, you know, he was saying, you're still the rock. You're still the Pope. And I, and I admire Peter because we have to remember, you know, the church defined the Bible. So the apostles, when they taught, did not use the Gospels. They told people what happened. Can you imagine Peter having to tell the early church, I denied him. I abandoned him. He had to relive that. But, you know, the beauty is like at Mass when we relive the sacrifice, it's like, what are we getting from this? Like, like yes, there's there was probably a lot of pain, but there was probably a lot of healing. And I'm sure a lot of people spoke to him and said, and look what you're doing for him now. Well, I mean, you mentioned the Passion movie. Um, I finally got the courage to watch it. Oh my gosh, I could not watch parts of it. Um, but the thing that always got to me, and I think it's because I'm a mom of two little boys, was every time, oh my gosh, I'm going to cry right now. Every time Jesus had to try to stand back up, he looked at her. She never took her eyes off of him and he looked at her. And, but what did she provide for him was love, that loving support. He knew he could count on his mother. So no, we're not all, we're not all mothers. No, we're not all Mary. But I think one of the things that we have to remember is we can help other people rise up by giving them that loving support and them knowing that you will love them and trust them. Let's use that as an example of one of those unforgivable sins. I'm sure you went through the same experience when you started having kids and your friends, family members at your age also. You're now having a conversation about being a parent. Mm -hmm. Okay. I knew how I felt. I told you when my son was born, I'm, I'm holding him in the hospital. And my first thought was, you poor child, I'm your dad. Because <laughs> I know how I am as a person. I know. Okay. So, but then hearing... Because I remember my father asking me like a day or two later, how do you feel being a dad? And I don't even remember what I said. I just kind of like, well, I have a lot of work to do, <laughs> you know, but, but I never really talked about that with anybody. But I just finished saying my father asked me. The first time I walked into my parents' house and I, my father was not there, my father had died. So that, that was hard because my whole life, he was always there. But how many people... They never had a father there. Okay, so I sit here and I uh, have talked to dads and these are my friends. And these are sometimes guys who they didn't leave their families. And they're sitting there telling you how terrified they were to be a parent. Like there was times like one of them admitted to me, he goes, I didn't do it. Obviously, he goes, I thought about running away. And when I told my wife, she was shocked. She goes, I never would have expected you, you of all people to say that because you're a good person. He goes, I was scared. Mm -hmm. And again, you're not absolving what they, people who've done that. Like I remember one time watching an interview with the former basketball player, Dennis Rodman. He goes, my mother never hugged me. He goes, she, he goes, um, you know, she never loved me. She never showed me that love. But instead of beating the horse, he said, but I understand. He goes, I saw my mother with other boyfriends she had literally beating her in our yard. He goes, my mother didn't know how to love. Mm -hmm. And then it was funny because when he was inducted in the Basketball Hall of Fame, and he mentioned that, he didn't even talk about his career. He apologized to his wife and kids for not being a good husband and father. <laughs> now you're getting to me. And then he, because uh, his former coach, Phil Jackson, was the Hall of Famer who inducted him. They have that tradition in the NBA. And he said, because, you know, coaches are very, they get to know their players very well. Yeah. And he said, the reason I asked him to do it was because he's the only man in my life who ever, who ever cried for me. Wow. So... You put this child in the world who's never been taught to love and they become a parent. 
yes, they have responsibilities. Yes, there are obligations, but yeah, would they have a few doubts about their ability to be a parent? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's cause I mean, I, I always think about growing up as a kid and I always, you know, my parents were heroes to me. I mean, they always seem to have all the answers and I'm like, how, I don't, I don't have all the, I don't know everything. You know, I, I, I would sit there and think I can't do this, you know, but, but, um, you, you know, it's almost like, you know, our friend Rick Egan would say, just love them. That's all you got to do is just love your child. Well, let's go back to what you were saying when you first held your baby boy and you're like, you're, you poor child on your father. <laughs> well, I've had moments too, where you actually see a lot of times you tend to see yourself in your child and you know what you went through. And there are so many times that I see, um, I fear for my son because I can see the pain that I went through. I, I could see it in him. And so a lot of times when we're, when we're faced with our fears as parents, again, it's the whole facing ourselves. It's knowing our own flaws and how and knowing that you can mess this like feeling like you can mess this up yeah right because you know yourself you know what you went through you know what kind of mistakes you made as a child or as a teenager or what or, and through your 20s your 30s you know it and so once again it's the whole facing yourself and understanding where you need to heal in order to become that better parent um and I, there's a lot of things for myself that I also had to face and ad, had to admit to myself. Um, sometimes, you know, um, you, you and I have talked about cultural um, ways of raising children and mm -hmm. discipline and how some of, you know, I'm, I'm, I have the Asian parenting within me. And unfortunately, the way you are raised gets instilled in you. So and that's a lot of times the only way you know how to parent. So it's really admitting to yourself, okay, this is not the way I want to raise my children. How can I change this? And sometimes those cultural ways of parenting do come out. Um, and you and so it, it takes a lot to be able to change that and to transform that. And so it's the same. It's, it again, this whole merciful love thing, asking, I've had to ask my son for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. I've had to say, look, I'm sorry that I did it this way. And, but explaining why, you know, just, it's not, it's not out of, oh, I, I just did it just to do it. There is a reason why I reacted this way. Mm -hmm. So I do address that with him, but I do apologize and say, hey, look, I'm sorry I did it this way. So again, it's, asking for forgiveness, not just from your peers, not just from, from your superiors. It's from everybody, everybody mm -hmm. in everybody that you love. Mm -hmm. And one thing, you know, I gave examples from, you know, like the, you know, the Dennis Rodman thing where he, you know, I don't, I don't know when he realized this about his mom. Cause he, you know, he's talking about this stuff. He's already like, he's in his fifties now or sixties, whatever, but you know, these are things in his retirement. So he's, he's a man that's already much older, but that, or you have the people that seem to have things figured out. One thing I've learned is that by loving, you know, for lack of better or appropriate phrase, loving your enemy, sometimes what, what helps you get through that or someone who's giving you a hard time, persecutor, if you, that's probably a better word, is take the high road and maybe assume there has to be an underlying issue to why they're doing this. And you may never know about it. See, I think I, I, teachings taught me a lot of this stuff because like when students would tell me things like, well, like the teacher did this, another teacher did this and like, they won't, they won't even acknowledge it. And I'm listening and I, and I tell them I won't get involved, but I'll listen. It's taught me like, for example, if I teach a lesson and I, and I leave that day and I'm like, I didn't do a good job. I'll go back the next day and say, guys, you know what? I don't think I did a good job yesterday on, on this, this, and that. Can we, I want to go through this again with you guys because I, I didn't do a good job. You know, I'm showing my vulnerability. I, I'm apologizing to them. You know, 
I'm acknowledging their dignity. So, and it's amazing because people will be so critical of young people in the world today and they don't realize, you know how loyal they'll be if you do that to them. You know that from your confirmation candidates too. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, and so some of the kids you teach, they come back to you and they will come and talk to you and thank you and you know, whatever. And there's, uh, there's, there's always going to be more that don't, but you don't underestimate the impact you may have had on them. And I, I know of that because I can think of several teachers I've had in my life that I, I've never spoken to them since leaving the classroom. You know, I don't, I, maybe I can't, or maybe I, I've never even bothered to reach out to them, you know, but, you know, I still am very appreciative of what they did. And I think for those teachers, and I'm sure most of them are retired, if you did the best you could and you know, okay, I'm not every kid I ever taught is going to be there to come say thank you later, you did the best you could. So if you try to make amends with someone and they don't, and they resist you, well, you did what you were supposed to do. You, in fact, you did what Jesus commanded us to do. But sometimes some people have been so hurt that um, they they don't know how to forgive or they don't know how to um, to respond in that way because you know they're they're afraid too. They they they're not sure you know they can trust you. They're not sure if they can um, you know rely on you again. I mean it's it's that's more fear that someone will deal with. So again, you know, there's a lot to it. So. To forgive someone is to show love to them. And that's what we're commanded to do. Because, I mean, let's not forget, Jesus forgave people on the cross. And how many of them on the cross were mocking him? It must have been really hard to forgive those people who were literally mocking him at a point when he was in absolute agony. Well, I don't know how many of us are ever going to be crucified so sure, we're in great agony at times when we, we have been wronged, but let's not forget that our, we, we can take those pain pains that we've gone through to the Lord. He has himself gone through that. Well, so I um, the diary of St. Maria Faustina actually was published. And one of the things in her visions that Jesus told her, it should be of no concern to you how anyone else acts. You are to be my living reflection through love and mercy. I answered, Lord, but they often take advantage of my goodness. That makes no difference, my daughter. That is no concern of yours. As for you, be always merciful toward other people and especially toward sinners. Jesus is telling us, forget what anyone else does. You have control over how you are and how you treat people. Always be kind always be loving, always be forgiving. So, um, you know, we, we need to always remember that we need to treat one another with that loving, merciful love that God has given us. He has shown us through Jesus, through the life and through the life, the teachings and the example that Jesus showed us and what we see, what we've seen in his passion and his crucifixion and him rising again. And I think that quote is probably the perfect way to really start to wrap this up because that was exactly what he did. You know, like I said, he was being mocked on the cross. I mean, you know, we have those moments in our lives where we'll look at someone and say, oh man, that's, that's, that's not cool. And that can be someone you don't like because you really, when they're really being treated a certain way, we, we see their humanity all of a sudden, right? And in his case, he's been through that. So that reminds me of something that my previous pastor said to us during one of his homilies where he said, when Padre Pio used to be persecuted, he would respond by saying, they did it to Jesus too. So, but see, he's not just saying, ha, I, I, I went through it too. You're on your own. He's like, call me. I'll be there with you. I'll, I'll walk with you through that. I've been there. And that's, that's, you know, Jesus knew what he'd have to endure when he came to earth to come for his bride. So it's like, you know, for him, why do you think he was in agony in the garden? He didn't go in there and be like, eh, whatever happens, happens. No, he knew he was going to endure a lot of pain and suffering. It's like now it begins. Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> so hopefully well, we had some um, some insights to share with everyone. Again, anytime you may have some questions or feedback, if there's one, if you, if you might say, hey, you guys should have thought about throwing this in there, please, you know, let us know anything. 
at uh, hcdtalks uh, at, at gmail.com. And of course, you can visit us at hcdtalks.com. We're also on social media. You can come say hello, follow, and you know see and what we're up to on a regular handle, basis. Our handle is across the board at hcdtalks. So thank you so much for listening. Happy Easter to all of you. God bless. And I hope that you all um find forgiveness within yourselves um go to take it to god and learn to love and forgive one another amen to that for additional episodes videos blogs and more visit us at www.hcdtalks.com or follow us on any of our social media pages on facebook instagram or twitter with the handle at hcdtalks thank you so much for listening